Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is the latest, the greatest edition of Nick's Nonfiction here with your host, Nick Muniz. Today on the show, we have got long-awaited Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Five million copies sold. This one opens the door wide open to the female listener. A steamy love triangle awaits. Dominique Francone, the exquisitely beautiful millionaire's daughter. She marries Howard Rourke's biggest enemy. Now it's up to Howard to prove himself to society to see if she'll take him back. So this is like libertarian philosophy with a Harlequin novel strewn throughout it. And like, it's one of the best novels ever. So I'm going to be a douche the whole time, but... Rand's entire point, man's ego is the fountainhead of human progress. Oh my god, so like, I'm so cute that men want to push society forward. This book might have some of the most badass libertarian rants. It's also sopped in estrogen. Man cannot survive except through his mind. He comes on earth unarmed. His brain is his only weapon. Animals obtain food by force. Man has no claws, no fangs, no horns, no great strength of muscles. He must plant his food or hunt it. To plant, he needs a process of thought. To hunt, he needs weapons to make to survive. A process of thought. From the simplest simplicity to the highest religious abstractions, from the wheel to the skyscraper, everything we are and we have comes from a single attribute of man, the function of his reasoning mind. This chick does philosophy. Counterpoint, intuition. So I could be a dick, but we're just trying to enjoy the story. This quote is for the ladies. Love is reverence, worship, glory, the upward glance. Not a bandage for dirty sores, but they don't know it. Those who speak of love most promiscuously are the ones who've never felt it. They make some sort of feeble strew of sympathy, compassion, contempt, and general indifference, and they call this love. Once you've felt what it means to love as you and I know it, you're incapable of anything less. What does Ayn Rand say after giving head? I did this for me. I've been recommended this 20 times by the Knickers. Thank you. We'll be right back. About the author, Ayn Rand. Elisa Zayanyeva Rosenbaum, born February 2nd, 1905, was a Russian-born American writer and philosopher. Born in St. Petersburg and died in New York City in 1982. Educated in Russia, she moved to the United States in 1926 after two early novels that were initially successful and two Broadway plays. She achieved fame with her 1943 novel, The Fountainhead, and then 1957, her best-selling work, Atlas Shrugged. Undoubtedly, that'll be on in the future. Uh. I can't believe how good this book was. You know I don't say that often. And just listen to how Wikipedia gives her the libertarian treatment. Rand supports rational and ethical egoism as opposed to altruism. Philosophy. How could you believe in ethical games rather than altruistic games where nobody wins and we're all Wikipedia-loving communists? Holy crap! Altruism is a sneaky word for utilitarian. Anything is justifiable by what I deem the greater good. Philosophy makes the whole world clearer. I'm just saying, this bitch is based. So yeah, me and her are 99% politically aligned. But I'm still going to make fun of her for being a chick. What's the difference between a British SUV and a libertarian? One's a Land Rover. The other's a Rand Lover. Another one. I and Rand, Rand Paul, and Paul Ryan walk into a bar. The bartender says, what'll it be? 
no regulations. Why did the Libertarian cross the road? What road? <laughs> we'll be right back. The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand, Chapter 1, Backstory. Opening scene features Howard Rourke standing naked on a granite cliff. He's young and stern. It's 1922. Rourke was expelled from the Stanton Institute of Technology, even though he was an exceptional student, excelled in mathematics, engineering. The only reason he was expelled? Because his beliefs were too controversial. At the expulsion meeting, the dean expels him. He's going, you have too many modernist ideas. Maybe you could return when you're older. Rourke's like, I'm never coming back to this school. So the dean says, you'll never become a true architect. Some early motivation for Howard Rourke. This is like a slow burn book. We're going to go through 30 years. So a lot of time slippage. Rourke met his best friend Peter Keating at school. Peter Keating took a real job from Guy Francone, very prominent architecture. Rourke and Keating discussed it. He's like, what should I do, buddy? And Rourke's like, I'm going to go be an idiot, but seriously, you should take a real job. So there's a leaf in time. Flash forward. <laughs> Keating is now working in New York for Francone, that job he just took. It's called Francone and Hire, big architecture firm. He's known for barking up the tree of the staffsmen. He's like the office politician more than being known for his designs. Meanwhile, Rourke, he found a job with a once-renowned architect, Henry Cameron. This guy's been exiled by the architect community. He believes in the purity, the truth of buildings, more than whatever the client desires. Is the customer always right? I know what I have to do, but I don't know if I have the strength to do it. Compared to Chatty Keaton buttering up the higher-ups in the office, Rourke says him and Cameron do not talk during their work. We fast-forward another two years. Keating gets a higher-up fired at the firm so he's able to absorb all of his clients, like he's doing real business politics there. He gets a girlfriend, Katherine Halsey. She wants the ring. He ain't ready. The twists come when Keating finds out she's the niece of Ellis Tuhi. This is a famous architecture critic, so like a, a tastemaker for the Rolling Stones. Him and Keating, they get along off the bat. Ellisworth Tuzi, she's kind of the puppet master for Catherine. One night, Keaton wakes up. He's like overwhelmed with a feeling, a premonition that he's leaving and leading an impure, unprofessional life. So I'm telling you, like he fucked over that guy above him already. He's feeling guilt. In his like fit of delirium, he tells Catherine that he doesn't want to meet her aunt. So stopping the girlfriend train right there. This is like a whole deeper point because he doesn't want to get made fun of by the other guys in the office because you're sleeping with the publicist. Peter is going to get the higher-ups fired. He'll play dirty in that way, but he's not going to play dirty in the love game for now. It's a big theme, you know? She loves love in this book. Like, women pretend to fall in love with people, but this guy won't pretend to fall in love with the publicist's daughter. So we're flashing back over to Rourke. Working with Cameron. Nothing but destruction will face a man who has integrity. <laughs> That's like my joke. What do you call a man who makes an honest living? Broke. <laughs> this is what the type of knowledge that he's getting the opposite of Peter in the city. Keating. 
he's falling for the death of a salesman trick. Like, I'm going to play in the game of business, but I'm only going to play dirty to the degree that I find. There are motherfuckers that will kill each other for a stock option. If you're going to play that game, you got to go fucking hard. Cameron said, Even if you could build the most beautiful buildings, you will lose the bid to lesser architects. So Rourke is getting, like, his guru education in friggin' New Jersey. And he's saying... We're going to, like, sell out direct experience for commercial value, dude. Like, we got to be purists. <laughs> I kind of agree. I worked in Chipotle for a while. It's not even a building, bro. It's an indoor line. And I worked at Starbucks for a couple of years. They show you the ideal blueprint of a store. It's not a building. It's a structure built for throughput. <laughs> like I could get all hippie on fucking feng shui and sacred architecture. Buildings are alive. Ghost House. What was that movie? Just kidding. That's not what Ayn Rand is saying for her whole thing. Buildings are an analogy for society. So the purists and then the fuckers who just want to take advantage. Flash forward another year. Keating is now the chief design top architect at Francon and Hire. It was only because he made this other guy, Stengel, leave. Is everybody Jewish in this book? I need a Havana Gila drop. That had nothing to do with Jewish. EDP 445 making an appearance. So Rourke and Keating, they finally have a little reunion. Keating is given his first head design job, and he's going, Rourke, I can't do this work. You know, I cheated my way through school. I schmoozed my way up in the office. You got to help me with this design. Rourke is happy to do so. Keating's feeling all this shame. He's still writing his name on the sketches as he submits them. Cameron, the mentor, is like, bro, you got some dirt on this guy. You could go play in the game in the city again. Rourke is like, no, I'm good. I like our job. We got a good thing going here. Cameron ends it on a fucking hammer. You're fired. You're too good for what you want to do with yourself. It's no use, Rourke. Better now than later. What do you mean? It's no use wasting your time. You've got an ideal that you'll never reach. So this guy's more of the guru. Let me switch it up. It's no use taking that marvelous thing you have and making a torture rack for yourself out of it. Sell it, Rourke. You've got what they'll pay for, and plenty of it. If you use it their way, they'll accept you. Compromise. Compromise now, because you'll have to later anyway. Only then you'll have to go through things that you wish you hadn't. <laughs> you don't know, I do. Save yourself from that. Chapter 2, The Firm. <laughs> Bro, that's old man wisdom. That's some of the most valuable shit you'll find in a book. Just one month later, Cameron loses his commission. So, like, the old guy is going out of business. It was a month, and Rourke still didn't quit. So he collapses on the job. His heart is given in. He's like, fuck, this kid's going to spoil. There's no hope for real architecture anymore. Cameron leaves. It's, yeah, Rourke is out of New Jersey. Keating's career, it's at the heightest of heights thanks to Rourke's blueprints that he submitted. He gets an apartment on Park Ave. Keating's mom comes to town to help him reach the top. She's like, you got an opportunity. We're not going to stop until it's Frank Conan Keating. This is a domineering lady. It's a Jewish mother. Keating, you got to meet Frank Conan's daughter. You got to swoon that nice young lady. <laughs> Another theme from Ayn Rand. The lady is telling him... It's not fair. Love is a battlefield, dude. So Keating reconsiders his whole moral compass, and then he asks Tui's niece out. 
Katie it is. So they're on a date. Katie's like, oh my god, this is crazy. Aren't we like a couple of young lovebirds? Like, are we engaged? And Keating folds under pressure. Anytime he looks at a girl, he turns into a lamb. He shivers in his boots. It is. I am engaging you. Do you want to marry me? <laughs> so they get engaged on the spot. Yeah, yeah, we're married, sweetie. Just keep it on the hush-hush, why don't you? Rourke, his life is in shambles. He's hunting for cash. He calls Keating, is able to get him a job. He's the lowest level position at the firm, but he keeps doing designs for him behind the scenes. So Keating is getting paranoid. He's like, Rourke must be up to something. This is business. How could someone actually take pride in their work? The only thing that matters is what other people think about you. He convinces himself that Rourke is out to get him. And the only secret that Howard has at the moment is when he goes out to the job sites, he spends time with the guy named Matt. They blow each other. Hello, bozo. He's an electrician, so he's like undergoing an apprenticeship. He wants to get away from the offices. One day in the office, Rourke is asked directly by Francone to design a building similar to Cameron's. He's calling it the Dana Building. Francone, he wants a classical Greek style. But Rourke goes, I don't believe that this is true to Cameron's style. Francone's like, no, 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 I'm pretty sure that that guy was into the Greek pylons. Rourke doesn't tell him. He's like, I worked for the guy. He hated Greek architecture. So big boss Francone, he's upset that someone's actually talking back to him. Rourke told him, Greek style doesn't go anymore. Big boss Francone, never had a two-way conversation, fires Rourke. Eventually, he finds a job with some, like, off-the-beaten-path architect, John Eric Snight, another Jewish guy. <laughs> Every architect at the firm designs a project, and then they combine all their perspectives. Rourke gets the nickname Mr. Modernistic. A big strike goes down amongst the New York workers. Main published here, we're introduced to a, a big character, Gail Winward. I think I slipped an N-word in there. Winward runs the paper that Keating's girlfriend family is in. So you're like, Pete's mad that his power is gone. But this Gale guy, he's going to come back later. Gale gives the critic Tui a bribe to get him to quiet down on the whole strike that's going down. Then another day, Keating finds his boss, Frank Cohn. He's in a terrible mood because his daughter wrote a scathing denouncement of the Frank Cohn buildings. So, like, the newspapers weren't covering the strike, so Francone's daughter gets involved. This is like Michaela Peterson. I would hit. That's forever on the internet. Great. Francone is like, my daughter hates me. She hates the company. I'm giving you full permission to pursue my daughter as a love interest. Peter Keating, have at it. So he introduces the two of them at the New York Society Party. Millionaire Austin Heller is in attendance. He's looking for a firm to design his house. He's not sure exactly what he's looking for. He wants something pure, something innovative. <laughs> Rourke's firm gets the bid over Keating. Nobody saw this coming. But that's a perfect job for Rourke. He's Mr. Modern. He designs this house around a granite cliff. That other guy, Snite, he modifies the designs. And then he brings it back to Heller during the dinner. He goes, this isn't quite there. So then Rourke steps forward. He goes, let me give you the original design. On the spot, Snite, you're fired! 
the millionaire Austin is like, whoa, 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 Rourke, I'm hiring you on personal commission. Fuck all these firms. So Rourke gets the job. Howard opens his own office. He goes to show Cameron the first commencement check. He's like, my life is validated. It doesn't say much, only Howard Rourke architect, but it's like those mottos men carved over the entrance of castles and died for. It's a challenge in the face of something so vast and so dark that all the pain on earth, and do you know how much suffering there is on earth, all the pain comes from that thing that you're going to face. I don't know what it is. I don't know why it should be unleashed against you. I only know that it will be. And I know that if you carry these words through the end, it will be victory. Howard, not just for you, but for something that should win, that moves the world, and never wins acknowledgement. It will vindicate so many who have fallen before you, who have suffered, and you will suffer. Giving him Yoda-level speech. Every true building is a small win. The first visitor at Howard's office, none other than old pal Petey Keating. Keating is outwardly praising him. Such a good job. On the inside, he's jealous, resentful. Keating tells Rourke, you gotta be careful, you know, Gail Winward? His publishing company just destroyed us. So if you're gonna design any buildings that are substandard living conditions, just watch out. And Rourke's like, I don't make half-assed buildings, okay? Thanks for the warning. Is that how you make your money? <laughs> Weeks later, Dominique comes out with another article. Scathingly brilliant. Keating gets chewed out by his boss. I'm letting you sleep with my daughter, and she still hates the company. <sighs> Buy her a nice dinner, for Christ's sake. How could someone care more about structural integrity than other people? <sighs> you see the theme coming back? There's some Shakespearean irony in this bitch. Frank Cohn stops Keating from seeing his daughter. So this makes Keating fall in love with her even more. And remember... He's still engaged to Tui's niece. <laughs> this guy. His mom is still there. Sweetie, you need to postpone the wedding. Love doesn't matter. Go after whoever's richer. Okay, more quotes. Everything has strings leading to everywhere else. Keating is having a fucking existential crisis. We're all so tied together. We're all in a net. The net is waiting, and we're being pushed into a single desire. You want a thing, and it's so precious to you. Do you know who's standing ready to tear it out of your hands? You can't know. It may be so involved so far away, but somebody already is afraid of it all. And you cringe and crawl, and you beg, and you accept them. So he's, like, paranoid because he got men killed to get his business position. Rourke, on the other hand, he's having the highest of times. Tons of customers asking for historic designs. He patiently explains to them how he, he can only build something according to his beliefs, nothing out of the past. I'm telling you, there's like Ed Milet level self-help in this. 95% of people identify with the past. True creation is what... They lie to all the people. They're like, oh, you want something Greek? I can build a Parthenon to exact measurements. And Rourke's losing a ton of business. He's going, what you ask for is impossible. Whitford Sanborn... Former client of Cameron's approaches work to build a new country home. He previously approached Cameron, and he sent him to Rourke. The designs please Sanborn, but his wife is super unhappy. And so Howard Rourke is again refusing to compromise, and eventually builds the house that he wants. Mrs. Sanborn arrives on the property, refuses to live in the house. Almost at the end of part one. 
Hollywood company Cosmoslotnik Pictures is holding a prestigious international competition to select an architect to build a gigantic skyscraper. Keating is encouraged by his boss, Francone, go submit a design. Keating knows I can never win. I only got by on Howard's work. So he turns to Rourke again. He's like, I got to build this Cosmo bullshit. I need another gold design. This is pretty bad timing because now Cameron is on his deathbed. Yoda, pursue your dreams and never compromise on your ideals. Isn't that annoying that it's coming from the guy who before was saying, you're going to live a shit life unless you compromise? But now on his deathbed, he's saying never compromise. Fuck. <laughs> Keating is sweating the deadline, even though he's not the one doing any work. He has that, like, dream again. His life is impure. It's all built on falsity. <laughs> and that never goes away or he gets resolved. So to cope, maybe, like, a second wife will help. He asks Dominique to marry him. <laughs> Already engaged. <laughs> I feel like a fraud, so I'm going to get engaged to a second woman. Very honest. Dominique refuses the proposal. She hit him with some riz. If I ever feel the need to severely punish myself, I'll do so. <laughs> Oof. Keating is like Spider-Man Venom suit. He goes full evil at this point. He sneaks into Hire's house. Frank Conan Hire. He ruins Hire's schematics. He like spent tensils in some new stuff in the faulty designs and then the next day in the office he sneaks into hire's office he's going hey take another look at that design you notice anything different the math isn't adding up what's happening he's like i ruined your work hire has a heart attack <laughs> it's peter keating's third body he killed another guy by fucking with his work <laughs> He's the Pat Bateman of the story. <laughs> he gets some good luck. He wins the skyscraper design and he's promoted to partner. But Dominique see through that. She was like, you didn't do that work. I know you're not capable of that. So he's not happy in his marriage, but he's getting the praise in the office. So Petey pays his old buddy a visit, Howard Rourke. Once again, destitute. He should have listened to the old hag about the beach house. So Keating writes Rourke a check. He's going, hey, you know all that shit that happened in the past? Maybe we don't talk about it. Howard goes, I'm not taking that check. It's you who has to keep quiet. That tower is mediocre. <laughs> Keating's like, bro, nobody knows the difference. Even the critics and the architects don't know the difference. He goes, no, I tried to rush perfection. <laughs> Back to the crux. Keating thought being validated by his coworkers is going to make him happy. And Rourke is only happy when his work is perfect, and he knows he's mailing it in. So I'm not saying there's anybody right here. We're in the, not taking sides. Somebody does get a happy ending, though. A couple happy endings in this book. I'm not joking about that. So Keating realizes he's never going to be happy, and he unleashes on Rourke. He starts projecting on his buddy. Just drop that fool delusion that you're better than everybody. Just go to work. You'll have people running after you. You'll have clients. You'll have friends. You'll have an army of draftsmen to order around. Rourke goes, Look, Peter, I believe you. I know that you have nothing to gain by saying this. I know more than that. I know that you don't want me to succeed, and it's all right. I'm not reproaching you. I've always known it. You don't want me ever to reach these things you're offering me. And yet, you're pushing me to reach them quite sincerely. He doesn't want him to take the money. <laughs> 
and it's not love for me because that wouldn't make you so angry and so frightened. Peter, what is it that disturbs you about me as I am? That's why I said it's projection. Keating isn't doing any internal bullshit. So he's going, anybody who's different must be wrong. <laughs> Howard knows Keating's never going to use his work again now that they had this beef. So he calls up Mike the electrician and gets some work in a granite quarry in Connecticut. End of part one. Chapter three, The Temple. Usual five-chapter format today. Howard now working at the Granite Quarry in Connecticut. It's actually owned by Francone's company. So Dominique is living at her father's estate. It's near the quarry. She spends most of her time wandering around. She visits the quarry one day, catches sight of Rourke, captivated by his gaze, which was one of ownership. She decides to hate him because she knows that she could fall in love. Some fucking chick logic. I hate you because I love... She finally approaches him one day. Ugh, like, what do you do here? Why do you work? Money. He keeps it really brief with her. Long quote, this is about how Howard really feels. Sometimes, not often, I sat up, did not move for a long time, smiled, a slow smile of an executioner watching his victim. He thought of his days going by, of which buildings he could have been doing and perhaps never would be doing again. He watched the pain's unsummoned appearance with a cold, detached curiosity. He said to himself, well, here it is again. It gave him a strange, hard pleasure to watch his fight against it, and he could forget that it was his own suffering. He could smile in content, not realizing that he smiled at his own agony. Such moments were rare, but when they came, he felt as it did in the quarry, that he had to drill through granite, that he had to drive a wedge and blast the thing within him which persisted to call his pity. Pete not spending a lot of time in the granite quarry. So it's all symbolic bullshit. To get back to the love story, he's keeping it frank with Dominique because he knows that she's coming on to him. Dominique, she intentionally scratches her marble fireplace one day, so she hires work to fix it. Rourke sniffs it out, and he sends an old decrepit guy to fix the fireplace. <laughs> a few days later, Dominique not happy. She's alone in her bedroom. Howard Rourke shows up. He brutally rapes her. That's not a joke. This book is awesome. The R word. You're not allowed to say that on Rootoot. He overpowers her, leaves her feeling humiliated at first. Then she realizes she would have remained frigid had he not been so violent with her. So I had to look this up. Ayn Rand, why are you putting this in your book? The rape is more of an abstract meditation on violence and frigidity than the hideous violation of a woman and a man. So she did admit that she's trying to shock the reader, but she also said it was for uh, Dominique to have her emotional walls shattered. I'm trying to fucking shatter her walls! Another actual quote. Like, it bought her walls down. I think she has a quote about it later. Hi, and Rand. I'm Randy. He was moving forward for the sake of such stops, like the moments when he had walked through the half-finished Heller house. Like last night, in some unstated way, last night had been what building was like to him, and some quality of reaction within him, it was what gave to his consciousness existence. I don't know what she's writing here. Howard was bored, so he raped the girl. It made him feel like he was building. <laughs> I can't get into that. So yeah, a week later, he leaves for New York, gets a job for some industrialist, Roger Enright. This guy actually becomes a good friend. Back in Keating's world, we'll get back to Dominique. Keating, he got a letter from the critic, Tui. He finally want to talk. 
Tui winds up asking Keating to be a chairman for a new commission. So there's this decent scene where Katie walked in on the meeting with Tui and Keating, so everyone goes quiet. Do you two know each other? <laughs> no, she slips the engagement ring off her finger. Peter slips both engagement rings off his finger. It's <laughs> a good scene. You gotta read this one. Tui gives a commission to leading. It's from this guy Lois Cook, another author, kind of irrelevant. Tui said about her, Lois writes in a very complicated fashion, but essentially writes nothing. So Tui's in on the grift. He's not actually putting up the best architects. Cook wants to build the ugliest house in New York. Keating accepts. He's not even going to need Howard's help for that. <laughs> Weeks later, Tui's group of architects is called the Council of American Builders. They have an inaugural meeting. They denounce modern architecture, but have no real alternatives. So you see how this is all political, too? But they're also saying Howard work is out. Nothing new. <laughs> Dominique finally comes back to New York for the regal dinner. Keating attempts to kiss her there, but she's repulsed. She reveals that she had a connection with a workman in Connecticut. Doesn't exactly say what happens. Rourke is able to reopen his office with the money that he got from Roger Enright. He's also at the cocktail party. Austin Heller is there, the millionaire from last time. Rourke is introduced to Dominique by Heller there. He was like, I ain't got this girl that you might want to meet. When he introduces them there, they play it cool. Do you two know each other? Yeah, I raped her. <laughs> Joel Sutton, a potential client of Rourke, asks Dominique if she should hire Rourke. Dominique tells him to do it, only if he wants a beautiful building. Sutton goes, I'm looking for something safe. Dominique recommends Peter Keating. <laughs> this is a chick book. A lot of sexual tension at this dinner. I want like a bad boy who's like in jail. My kids will love that. After the party, Dominique shows up at Rourke's house. She pegs him. No. You know I hate you, Rourke. I hate you for what you are. For wanting you. For having to want you. I'm going to fight you. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to pray that you can't be destroyed. I tell you this too, even though I believe in nothing and have nothing to pray for, but I will fight to block every step you take. <laughs> She's lovesick. This bitch is going cray. So they fuck. Make hot love. The following months, on and off, they're at it. Dominique filled with so much fire, her architecture column hits the top of the charts. She starts hyping up Howard in the papers. And remember, Tui was just going, we don't do modern anymore. So Dominique gets told it's time to tear down Howard Rourke. It's a couple chapter flashbacks where you see Tui's whole backstory. He lived a whole life of deceit, just like Keating. He used his writer power for bad, like Dominique is being convinced to do. Rourke getting in good with the Enright industrialist. That guy abides by the housing standards. So, of course, he gets slandered as well. The opportunity to attack arises. One of Tui's followers, Hopton Stoddard, he wants to build a temple. So Tui passes the commission to Rourke. This is all part of his plan. He knows he's being picky, so Tui tells Stoddard, Tell Howard that you need a bunch of ancient Greek stuff. <laughs> he lets the plan simmer. Some time passes. The Cosmo Slotnik building is finished. So people throw Keating this giant party. And he knows the building is crap. 
and he knows he didn't build it. <laughs> Keating doing more office work while Rourke is designing what he calls the Temple of the Human Spirit. Looks for inspiration from this old crazed killer architect, Stephen Mallory. Mallory basically tells him, if you want to be truly inspired, you got to get to the point where you're going crazy. So Howard invites Dominique to be the model for the main sculpture. Another 50 shade scene. He sculpts her in granite. They fuck in a temple. He claims he will bring the sky downward to man so visitors can find strength in themselves. And this is when Stoddard pulls all funding. Tui writes a scathing review of work. Tongue twisters here, Tui. He tells Dominique the only thing Rourke is going to be known for is his failure to build the temple. And so he's he's ruined for the third time. Tui tells Dominique, if you even date this guy, if you put his name in one of your columns, you're out as well. Dominique copes with turning evil. She says, the world is undeserving of the temple, therefore it should be destroyed. Since society can't love her man, neither can she. Remember that theme? Dominique knows that Rourke isn't going to take her back, so she shows up at Keating's house. Hey, remember I said I would punish myself by marrying you? Yeah, well, here I am. Keating tells Katie the wedding is off. He marries Dominique that night, some underground sham wedding. After the ceremony, Dominique consummates the marriage, but with Howard Rourke. She goes, I refuse to be happy in a world that cannot revere the man for Rourke of who he is. Some philosophical pillow talk. <laughs> Dominique and Keating, though, they're actually kind of a good match here. They're both lost. They have a pretty good argument. You're not here, Dominique. You're not alive. Where's your eye? Where's your Peter? She asked quietly. He sat still, his eyes wide. You're beginning to see, aren't you, Peter? Shall I make it clearer? You've never wanted me to be real. You never wanted anyone to be. But you didn't want to show it. You wanted me to act and help your act. A beautiful, complicated act. All twists, trimmings, and words. All words. You wanted a mirror. People want nothing more than mirrors around them. To reflect them while they're reflecting, too. You know, like the senseless infinity you get from two mirrors facing each other across a narrow passage? Reflections of reflections. Echoes of echoes. Good night, girl. I'll see you tomorrow. Dominique, I want to see you in the morning. I mean, she still made the wrong choice. She chose the adoration of the public in the papers, so now she can only have love in private. Some Shakespearean shit here. Dominique and Peter, they get married officially. At the reception, Keating, unable to feel joy. He says it's like his last building ceremony, the Cosmo. He's getting looks of envy, but he knows it's all based on lies. October 29th, 1929, Black Tuesday hits. For the fourth time, Howard Rourke is bankrupt. He walks in the half-finished temple, prays, and Tui is waiting there for him. He's trying to mock him. So what do you think about my plan, Howard? I pulled funding at the last minute. What do you think about my grand plan? Rourke replies, I don't think of you at all. Chapter 4, Gail Winward. Getting the whole Winward backstory in real time. Gail is deciding about a real estate project. It's called Stone Ridge. So Tui recommends Keating's designs. Winward, not convinced. Tui offers a bribe. So he's going, this guy almost married my niece. He's going to have to be the one. So Peter, <laughs> the absolute fraud, is the next guy up. Winward's backstory, he grew up in Hell's Kitchen, began working for a local paper, the Gazette, a New York newspaper with journalistic integrity. The paper was attempting to frame an honest man for something he didn't do. 
so Winward, the young journalist, called on one of the higher-ups to help him. The hero refused. So Winward, he's like disillusioned. It's his fucking villain origin story. Takes over the Gazette, makes it even sleazier. By the time he's 35, he controls several publications in the U.S. Back to normal time, Gail. He decides to meet Dominique. This is going to be man number three in the love triangle. It's a simple spell, but quite unbreakable. He's rich. That's the spell. Dominique offers to sleep with Gail if she could get Keating the Stone Ridge contract. So Gail takes her to his secret collection of art. Bounchical. Wow, wow. He takes her on his yacht. She agrees to marry him. Gail offers Keating $250,000 and the Stone Ridge contract if Keating gives him Dominique. He's like, hell fucking yeah, Dominique. Have a good marriage. <laughs> so now Dominique is married to Gail Winward. After 72 hours of being married, she's bored. She tracks down Howard Rourke. <laughs> He's working on a construction site in Clayton, Ohio. She tells him she's married to Gail Winward. They have a big yacht. She has an art collection. He's like, damn, my old mentor Cameron, he hated that guy. Says nothing else. Dominique leaves Ohio feeling even worse. Petey Keaty, still in New York City. Francone retires, so Keating appoints this mediocre laser guy, Neil Dumont, lazy. He'll never be as good as Peter Keating, which is something to say. So again, society, that's when the downward spiral. In terms of spirals, Gail wants to have a quiet wedding, but Dominique wants to have the loudest, most vulgar ceremony ever. She shows up in a black wedding dress. What? Honeymoon night, she asks him on the pillow. What do you love, Gail? Power, Dominique. The only thing I ever wanted. To know that there's not a man living who I can't force to do anything. Anything I choose. The man I couldn't break would destroy me. He's the bird. Admiral Monatoshu Wanatabi. He's the biggest evil. He's motivated by pain. We're getting some rain. I like to see a man standing at the foot of a skyscraper, he said. It makes him no bigger than an ant. Isn't that the correct bromide for the occasion? The goddamn fools. It's a man who made it. The whole incredible mass of stone and steel. It doesn't dwarf him. It makes him greater than the structure. It reveals his true dimensions of the world. What we love about these buildings, Dominique is the creative faculty, the heroic and man. Do you love the heroic and man, Gale? I love to think of it. I don't believe in it. He doesn't believe in heroic acts. The Gazette Runner. So Dominique realizes in two weeks, holy shit, this guy is pure evil. It all comes but rushing back to her. Why did I slander Howard Rourke? She goes back to Tui. She's like, how can we get at this guy? He's a traitor for turning his back on integrity in order to control the world. So that's coming from tastemaker Tui. Gale knows that she's in love with someone else. But he thinks that she can make her stay if he builds her a tower in Hell's Kitchen. Chapter 5. The End. The story flash forwards a decade, opens up with this young discouraged guy cycling through the woods. 1935. Comes upon a resort designed by Howard Rourke. Even the sight of it gives him enough strength to finish his bike ride, gives him the bravery to last an entire lifetime. So Ian's making this big point, you ever see a piece of work that's so good it changes you? What's more important, that or money? So we get the backstory of the building. Rourke was drifting around, he entered a contest for this hotel. 
so we hired Stephen Mallory, the killer. They lived in harmony in the shacks on a mountain, build the entire resort. It comes to be known as the best resort in the country, and Gail Winward gets wind of it. Gail flies Rourke out to New York. He doesn't know the history between him and Dominique. And the two of them immediately take a liking to each other. This is when the chick boner gets huge. Oh my god, like, I chose two or like a guy's. Winward wants Rourke to build a private fortress for him. He's like, I'm gonna protect Dominique from the world. This will be her castle. It's a chick's wet dream. Another guy's building the house that raped her. <laughs> Rourke finishes his sketches and he goes to Winward's office. Gale tells Rourke he only gets to build the house if Rourke will agree to design all future buildings in the style that Winward wants. And if he doesn't, he'll destroy Howard. Rourke tells him, after all this time, you're not going to be the one who corrupts me. This is what Gale has been waiting his whole life for. Once I can find the man that I cannot break. And Howard Rourke finally stood up to him. Just like before, he stood up to Dominique's dad. It's a theme. Gale invites him over. Dominique and him play it cool again. Do you two know each other? <laughs> Dominique thinks Rourke changed Windward by standing up to him, so she's going. he's becoming a good guy, I'll tell you. He tore down his emotional walls, just like he did to Dominique's walls. <laughs> Tui is breathing down Dominique's neck again. Never mention Rourke. I see he's in the city. Don't even think about it. Gale stops going to work because he can't stand to be around all the mediocre phonies. He's like, the dinner parties now feel fake. They're filled with puppets who have zero talents of their own. He met one piece of greatness. You see that theme? So you get a snapshot of Keating's life here. He's now overweight, old, bitter. After the retirement of Francone, Keating lost all of his reputation. He's known as the old-fashioned guy in the office now. So he goes to the woods to paint. Helps him feel better. He gets an opportunity to go back in the city, update his reputation. Tui is like, we need you. We need somebody who isn't Howard Rourke. <laughs> Tui says he only supported Keating's work in the beginning to prevent gifted people from rising to prominence. Marxist society. You gotta pump the island boys up so that nobody sees what real talent is. Because a taste of real love will change you. Keating is like, I'm going to do this building without your publicist's help, Tui. So he calls up Howard Rourke. Let's do one last job together, buddy. The building this time represents old age, economic stability. Rourke agrees to design it, as long as his work isn't altered. You know, that's probably what the founding fathers said. Nobody alter this thing. 27 constitutional amendments later. <laughs> Keating runs into Katie one day. Her spirit is crushed. This was the saddest part of the book. He tries to apologize to her. She's like, you married another girl at the same time as me. When the building's finished, Tui knows that Keating didn't build it. <laughs> He's like, you gotta give up the papers. I know you didn't do it. So Keating finally folds this time, and everybody knows that Howard Rourke built it. At the same time, conveniently, Gail Winward takes Dominique and uh, Howard out on their yacht. They discuss what selfishness is. Howard's going... People who are second-handers, big libertarian point. Independence of spirit and strength are the greatest threats to second-handers. When the yacht gets back, Rourke discovers that his designs were changed, and everybody knows he built it. She's like, that's a fucking bullshit building, and I didn't even build it. 
Gale secretly didn't like his philosophy. He's like, independent spirit? What are you talking about? Us millionaires? If you're not going to share your data with us, that's selfish. Rourke doesn't want the building to stand. He follows Dominique with a plan. Hello, darkness, my old friend. The following Monday, Dominique distracts the night watchman, requests him to go get gas, so Rourke has the property to himself. He dynamites the entire building. Dynamites the entire building? Industrial society and its future. This book has Oklahoma City bombing. This book rules. <laughs> he blows up the fucking building. Gale susses out that Dominique was part of the plan the next morning. And he's like, honestly, that building was hideous. Thank you for taking it out. <laughs> Rourke is arrested, but Gale posts his bail. So remember, he changed him. Gale is kind of having his character development. Rourke gives Dominique an ultimatum. If he's convicted, she's going to stay with Winward. But if he's free, she's going to be with him. And Gale is still oblivious to the love affair. She thinks it's with another guy still. Tui, still evil. He goes to Keating to get some dirt on Rourke. And Peter doesn't tell him about all of the old buildings. So Peter even kind of is a good guy in the end too. The paper runs the whole story that he made the building under somebody else's name, but it's like too late for the papers. People already want Rourke's body. Gale realizes that his paper is in ruins too for clearing Rourke's name. And so Gale is going to have to start from the bottom. Start it. Hello, Bozo. Start it from the bottom. Where you ass was at when I took the city over? After a couple weeks, Rourke is finally declared free in the papers. He goes to thank Gale and realizes the guy is descending into Smeagol mode. Must rebuild empire. Me wants libel. Me wants yellow journalism. Rourke tells Dominique they can finally be together. They make sweet, sweet love. She followed through on the ultimatum. The ultimatum? Runs in the paper the next day that Dominique is cheating. So Gail Winward finally has the egg on his face, big old millionaire. We go to the official trial of Howard Rourke. You get the most epic speech in the book. Creators free the world with the innovation and genius of their actions and work. Man wants truth and will seek it. He needs to create. Man must not serve fellow man. The United States is being corrupted by this week from an altruism. The creators were not selfless. It is the whole secret of their power. That it was self-sufficient, self-motivated, self-generated. A first cause, a fount of energy, a prime mover. Holy shit. <laughs> you see how Wikipedia tried to gank her fucking legacy? She hates altruism. <laughs> We have been corrupted by a weak form of altruism. People are self-sufficient, self-motivated, self-generated. Fuck communism. Shit'll never work. Look at history. Everything we have, every great achievement has come from the independent work of some independent mind. Every horror, every destruction came from attempts to force men into a herd of brainless, soulless robots. Without personal rights, without personal ambition, without will, hope, dignity. It is an ancient conflict. It has another name. The individual against the collective. I think I've unintentionally given the speech a hundred times on this show. Sovereignty, greatness, liberty. I don't know if I'm ready to know who John Galt is. Oh, man. I fucking stopped and did so many push-ups during this book. It was a good one. 
I am an architect. I know what is to come by the principle on which it is built. We are approaching a world in which I cannot permit myself to live. My ideas are my property. They were taken from me by force, by breach of contract. No appeal was left to me. It was believed that my work belonged to others to do with as they pleased. They had a claim upon me with my consent, that it was my duty to serve them without choice or reward. Now you know why I dynamited Courtland. I designed Courtland. I made it possible. I destroyed it. I agreed to design it for the purpose of seeing it built as I wished. That was the price I set for my work. I was not paid. My building was disfigured at the whim of others who took all the benefits of my work and gave me nothing in return. Remember my cheeky joke about the Constitution? I came here to say that I do not recognize anyone's right to one minute of my life, nor to any part of my energy, nor to any achievement of mine. No matter who makes the claim, it had to be said. The world is perishing from an orgy of self-sacrificing. I came here to be heard in the name of every man of independence still left in the world. I wanted to state my terms. I do not care to work or live on any other terms. My terms are a man's right to exist for his own sake. Oof. Critical mass libertarianism reached. Enter Roger Enright. Remember that old industrialist he befriended? He always believed in Rourke. He offers to buy the Cortland place and commissions Rourke to rebuild it the way he wants it. So everything is well in the kingdom. Gale and Tui, back at the bottom trying to use people's goodwill against him. Keating and Rourke, nothing to hide anymore. No one found out Rourke was a rapist. <laughs> All is well. <laughs> 18 months later, Rourke designs the building for Gale's new publication. He wants Rourke to encapsulate his spirit in the building. The story ends when Dominique visits the construction site. She looks up. It's so high there's nothing really visible. But standing between the endless sky and the ocean is her husband, Howard Rourke. The Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. Woo! Seriously, thank you to everybody who's been along for the journey and recommended this book. That's a life changer right there. Ayn Rand, Another one. you will be back on the show. If you want some free memes, check out Harish one on Instagram and patreon.com for some extra love. Let's get a random soundboard effect to end this iconic edition. Thank you all for tuning in. Nick Muniz signing off. Bye.